got 25 minutes, see if we can do this. Um, we launched a new series uh, last week called Leverage. Uh, the hope is that uh, you would be equipped, challenged, and reminded how God wants to use you in all that is incorporated in your life, your time, your spiritual gifts, your abilities, your talents, how he wants to use you to leverage your life for his mission. Uh, we spent a whole month in the month of September looking at Missio Dei, the mission of God, this, this language that's been used since the early centuries of the church to talk about what God wants to do in this world to bring his blessing to the world. And now we're getting more specific how. How do we leverage our lives for that mission? We're using this picture of leverage. Um, you know this leverage, this picture of leverage probably from physics class. When we take our effort and our energy and we apply it to a lever, that lever can be a crowbar, a shovel, a door handle, a wheelbarrow, the list goes on and on, the claw of the back of a hammer, it multiplies, that lever multiplies our energy and our effort to do something we couldn't do on our own. If you're taking apart an old deck, you cannot reach down and grab the nails unless it's really rotten, but you can't reach down and grab the nails and just force them out. You need something that has leverage. It multiplies your energy and your effort. And that's the picture that we're using for how God intends to use our gifts our skills, our abilities, our talents, our relationships, our financial resources, our intellect, our thoughts, our energy, is that as we give them to God, who is the lever, his spirit, uh, his son, Jesus Christ, the lever and the fulcrum, they multiply what we are putting on the table to do what we couldn't do ourselves, and that's to further God's mission and to bling, bling. <laughs> maybe he brings us bling, I don't know, but to bring uh, his blessing to the world. You get bling if you combine bring and blessing. So that's maybe how they got the word bling. I don't know. But uh, we want to bring uh, his blessing to the world. We want to leverage our lives, all that we are and all that we have for all that God is. And God is far more than we can begin to ever comprehend, uh, ask, imagine, um, dream. He is incredible and he is good to us. We're using Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 in the first three weeks of this series to help us see what does it really look like to leverage our lives for the mission of God. So if you have your Bibles, find Romans chapter 12. I told you this, for those of you that were on fall break last week, we'll catch you up just a little bit, but don't have time to give you the, the full version, so we'd encourage you to listen to our podcast or uh, go to our YouTube channel and, and check out the content from last week. Romans 12, one and two in particular, uh, go together. Uh, when you look at this in what we would say the original language, the Greek, it's a continuous thought. Uh, our English translations often divide verses one and two by a period, which is somewhat unfortunate because we think that it's a new thought beginning. But really, verses one and two come together. They're this pivot point in the entire book of Romans, the entire letter of Romans. As Paul writes to the Roman believers, the, the, the disciples in Rome, to these house churches, he, in the first 11 chapters, kind of summarizes what has happened to humanity and what God has done about it. He, he, he recognizes the sin the rebellion, the ways that we as human beings, the ways that the human beings in Rome had missed the mark. They'd sinned. They'd turned from what God wanted. He, he names several ways that they have sinned. He shares how sin comes through one man, Adam, but yet through a second Adam, through Jesus, rescue comes. And so for the 11 chapters, he talks about the history of God's people, uh, the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Israel. Uh, he talks about what God has done to rescue humanity from their sin. And then in chapter 12, he makes this picture 
pivot from this history to the more practical implications of what this means for our lives going forward. And verses one and two are kind of this hinge point, this pivot point where all that shifts and all of his tone changes uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So we're gonna read those again. I'll give you a quick summary of what we talked about last week in verse one, and then we'll always we'll really spend most of our morning looking at verse two before moving to verses three through eight next week. So if you have your Bibles, 12, chapter 12, Romans, verses one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So last week we focused primarily on verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul says, in light of everything I've just shared with you about the incredible mercy of God that's manifest most clearly in him sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die for the sins of the world, that all who would trust and believe, um, surrendering to him in faith, could be saved and rescued from their sin. That's the, that's the most powerful expression of God's mercy. But in view of all of God's mercy in Jesus and throughout history, then we ought to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Uh, we, we shared that this giving our bodies as a living sacrifice, this is a picture of giving every part of our lives, not just our physical bodies, but again, our intellect, our thoughts, um, our behaviors, our resources, whether that's time, energy, talent, treasures, whatever it is, we give that all to God because of what he's done. His mercy motivates our willingness to leverage our lives, to give him everything to accomplish his mission. And in verse two, uh, Paul turns to help us see what is that going to require of us? Not just us surrendering our lives, but we're going to have to be committed to not conforming to the pattern of this world but instead being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Let's start with uh, that first part of verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Uh, Again, sometimes when translators take uh, the original language, Hebrew in our Old Testaments, Greek in our New Testaments, and they give us English equivalents, they try to give us this easy path to understanding. And I think sometimes, and I'm not a translator, um, we miss out if we would just lean into a more direct translation. So, for example, in this passage, a most direct translation is, do not conform to this age. The same word, uh, we would spell it in English, A-I-O-N, uh, aeon, the same word is translated elsewhere by, from Paul as, as age. An age is different from world as John uses it in his letters. An age refers to this whole kind of current system of understanding the world. It reflects on what we might call a worldview. Uh, The age would be the beliefs, the ideologies, the philosophies, the cultural norms that stand in conflict or contrast to what God wants us to be thinking about doing and, and how he wants us to be living. 
And so Paul says to the Roman church, living in this place that's difficult, that if they're going to leverage their lives, they must commit to not conforming to the age, not conforming to the pattern, to the accepted norms, beliefs, philosophies of their society. You don't have to be a Roman historian to recognize what some of the popular philosophies and beliefs and values of the Roman Empire War. You see this in documentaries, you see this in movies, you see this in television shows. Uh, you can actually go to Romans chapter one, which you don't have time to, and you can read verses 18 to 32, and some of the highlights you'll find that in the Roman world, they were known for uh, their sexual, what we would call immorality, their sexual impurity. Uh, that's outlined in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. Uh, they would take God's gift of uh, sexual expression that's designed between, to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage, and they used it and abused it and experimented with it in all kinds of ways outside of what God intended. We can move through Romans chapter 1. You can read words like, um, they were filled with every kind of wickedness. This is verse 29. Evil, greed, depravity. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Think about the Roman colony. The things that you have heard and read and understand about the brutality that took place there. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They were full of pride. They invented ways of doing evil. They disobeyed their parents. No understanding of fidelity, love, or mercy. This is a description of the cultural norms in the Roman Empire. This is the pattern of this world. And what Paul writes to these believers is, listen, if we're going to leverage our lives, if we're going to go all in and give God everything, we cannot conform to the age. We cannot adopt the beliefs and the values that are culturally accepted, that, that seem to be popular in our world. He's compassionately and courageously challenging the believers in Rome to cling instead to what God has to say, that they might be transformed by the renewing of their minds. They will not leverage their lives unless they refuse to conform to the pattern of this age, the pattern of this world. Um, J.B. Phillips has a translation of the New Testament and how he words this first part of chapter um, 12, verse two, is that we can't let the world squeeze us into its mold. If you think about there being this, this pressure first for the Romans, for us by extension, saying, hey, this is what you should believe. This is what you should value. We can't allow, even though we live in this world, the world to pressure, to, to conform us to its mold. Instead, we have to allow what Jesus says to guide us and help us navigate life in this world. Here's something I find, it, I find it humbling. Another word that came to mind is uncanny. It just um, strikes me is that while the nuances of cultural pressures change across generations and centuries and millennia, at their core, they're most generally the same. We can look to the description of Roman society in Romans chapter one, verses 18 to 32, and we can identify similar struggles in our own culture today. But it's not just today. We can, we can rewind a millennia to the time of Judges. And you can read the accounts of the Judges in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, and you can find people living in very similar ways uh, a thousand years earlier than what transpires in Paul's letter and what transpires in our day 2,000 years before our day. 
There's this, there's this, this repeated refrain in Judges, beginning in chapter 17. It actually concludes the whole book of Judges. Chapter 21 ends this way, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Again, when everyone does what's right in their own eyes, they don't really care what someone else thinks. It's whatever satisfies them and pleases them. And so even though we are generations removed and the nuances change, uh, in, in Paul's day, uh, people weren't struggling with whether to look at internet pornography or um, to, to watch Instagram reels that were full of provocative content. But, but they were tempted to go up to the temple and have sex with prostitutes. People weren't tempted to smoke weed, um, but, but they had their own drugs and their own ways of escaping. And so while the nuances change, generally it's the same. And here's how we can summarize it, is that it's, it's the age-old lie that the enemy gives to humanity in the garden. The question that the enemy, Satan, asks Adam and Eve in the garden is, did God really say... He's getting Adam and Eve, God's creation, to question whether or not God should have ultimate authority over their lives or if they can have their own authority over their lives. And that's the struggle in every generation. Are we going to rule ourselves or are we going to submit to someone, a God who knows better and can rule our lives for us? And so even when we move away from Paul's letter to the Romans to think more specifically about maybe how we conform to the patterns of this age, of this world, uh, we can see that it's still a fight to place authority in ourselves rather than let God be our authority and submit to him. Natasha Crane uh, has written a book recently called Faithfully Different. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to know how to navigate life as a follower of Jesus in a world that's so complex, I would highly recommend Natasha Crane's book, Faithfully Different. On page 52 of her book, Faithfully Different, she outlines uh, the four most prominent beliefs in what we would call a secular worldview. Here are the four most common beliefs. A secular worldview says that your feelings are your ultimate guide. It says that happiness is your ultimate goal, that judging is the ultimate sin, and that God is the ultimate guest. If you look out at our world, how much is communicated, just follow your heart, your feelings are your ultimate guide. Just do what feels right. This can't be wrong because it feels so natural. It feels like the right thing to do. Your feelings, yourself, you govern what is right. You are your authority. Or my happiness is the ultimate goal. How many times are you and I inundated with messages day after day for products, for experiences that say you deserve to be happy? Pursue your happiness. Go to where your dreams come true. So happiness becomes an ultimate goal. Judging becomes an ultimate sin. How dare I even tell you that maybe there's a different way to live because I'm now judging you and that's worse than anything else. And then God becomes the ultimate guess. Can we really know that God is real? Why would we build our lives on his foundation? Maybe it doesn't matter which God you serve. These are the lies, but yet the beliefs that are prominent in our current world. And all of them put the self at the center as the person, as the place, as the seat of authority. But it doesn't take long for us to understand how this all kind of comes crumbling down and it doesn't work because what if my feelings guide me to something 
that doesn't help you be happy. Uh Uh-oh, we've got a conflict, right? What happens if my happiness is something that you don't think should make me happy? Wait, are you judging me? Judging's the ultimate sin. Well, who's gonna give us a standard? And then all these things come into conflict when we put ourselves in the seat of authority because you and I were never designed to be the ultimate authority over our lives. And yet if we are going to leverage our lives for the one who is greater, the one who is a mission, the one who intends what's best for humanity and shows us what's best, it's going to come because we no longer conform. We don't allow ourselves to be duped and, and deceived into believing that our feelings are the ultimate guide and our happiness is the ultimate goal and that our judging is the ultimate sin and God is the ultimate guest. But instead we say, God, will you transform my thinking and renew my mind? Listen, are we gonna give God everything? Am I gonna give God my time? Am I gonna give him my money that I work hard for? Am I gonna give him my energy? Am I gonna give him my relationships and how I date and the media that I consume if I think that I'm the ultimate authority? No, because I get to determine what's best for me. But if I allow God to renew my thinking and transform me, then suddenly he's showing me what's best and how to use my life. So if I'm gonna leverage my life for him, if I'm gonna go all in and give him everything, my body is a living sacrifice, I can't conform to what's popular in the world, but instead I say, Jesus, will you transform me and renew me? And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, let's be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word transformed, maybe you've heard this before, it's the same word that we get our word metamorphosis from. I think that the most popular picture for metamorphosis is the little bitty caterpillar, right, that, that, that makes the cocoon and then emerges so many days later from that cocoon or that chrysalis and it's now a beautiful butterfly, right? I mean, it is, it is this, that's a bad interpretation of whatever it was from Bug's Life. But anyway, um, it's a total change. When we look to Jesus and say, you are my ultimate authority, God, you know best for my life, we allow him to do a complete change. We're no longer thinking as the world does, these philosophies that are so tantalizing. And by the way, even those of us who've been following Jesus a long time still can be deceived and succumb to the worldly philosophy. We have to continually say, Jesus, change me, transform me, renew my mind. That, that, that word that uh, Paul uses here, Matthew and Mark both use in their description of an event in Jesus's life called the transfiguration. When Jesus takes uh, Peter, John, and James, and he goes up on this mountaintop, and he's transfigured, he's completely changed. His appearance is brilliant white, uh, bright uh, light, and they see Jesus in all the glory of who he is as the Son of God, completely changed. Paul is saying, if we're not going to conform to the pattern of this world, we have to let God transform us, completely change us. How? By renewing our mind. What does that mean? Well, Paul gives us some clues. In uh, Ephesians chapter four, he, he says that we should be made new in the attitude of our minds. Maybe even a greater clue is in Philippians chapter two, verse five. He says that we should have this mindset, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And so we're saying, Jesus, will you transform the way I think? Will you show me what you want me to do with my time? Will you show me what you want me to do with my body? Will you show me what you want me to do when it comes to sexuality? Will you show me what you want me to do when it comes to my money? Will you show me what you want me to do when it comes to my abilities and my skills and my resources? Will you show me what you want me to do when it comes to relationships and how I love my wife and how I love my husband and how I love my children and how I respect my parents? God, will you show me? So he's saying, if we want to leverage our lives, do not conform 
to the age. Don't allow the common philosophies and beliefs and values of the world to shape you, but instead be transformed as Jesus renews our mind, as Jesus teaches us. How how does he teach us? How does he show us what is right? We probably need his word, don't we? We we, we probably need to immerse ourselves in the things that God says in his word that teach us, that show us. As I read through the life of Jesus, as I read through Paul's letters, as I look back and I read through the pages of the Old Testament, I can see what matters to the heart of God. And it guides me and it confronts lies and misleading truths when I see them in the society that I'm in. His word guides me. And so if you and I want to be people who leverage our lives, if we want to leverage our lives for the mission of God, if we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, we need to make sure that we are people who are allowing God's word to come in and transform us. And here's the beauty. We've never lived in an age when it's this easy in the United States of America. If you have a learning disability, if you struggle with dyslexia, if you, if you struggle with ADD and you can't pay attention, we have apps that you can download on your phone and you can listen to God's word being read to you and still allow it to feed your mind and transform you and change you. That's the beauty of the world that we live in right now. We need God's word. We need his spirit. We need his body. Something happens when the church gathers and we worship together and and we enter into intentional relationships with one another. We're able to help hold each other accountable and and, and drive each other towards what matters most in in God's kingdom and in this world. We We don't have it all figured out at the very beginning, but over time, he renews us. It's a continual process for us. Here's the picture that came to mind this week for me. Um, we had our coldest weather in months this last week. Uh, how many of you parked your cars outside? You can't fit it in the garage or you don't have a garage, okay? When you woke up like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, uh, you had a heavy frost on your vehicle. And most of you probably forgot that it was already cold and you didn't give yourself a whole lot of time to get to work. And so chances are you went out and turned your car on, maybe you had a remote start, but didn't have enough time to get the car warm. And so you get into your car and you have a view kind of like this. You can just see a little bit, right? I don't know about you, I'll admit, I'll be the one that has confession time here. There are times when I don't give myself enough time. And so I'm driving down the road and please don't, I know it's not safe. Um, and, and I'm doing the thing where you're trying to look through, you know, that little window of time. Like, I think I can see, right? That's how it is when we first start to follow Jesus. We start to see clearly. We've been frosted over. We've been glazed over. We don't know what really matters. We're, we're living in this world that, that's telling us what we should do, that feelings are the guide, happiness is the goal, judging is the sin, God is a guest. But all of a sudden, we meet Jesus, and he helps us see. And what happens is we're driving down the road if we leave a little too early, and the windshield's not done. Over time, that warmth begins to help us see more and more and more, and then the window's clear. That's what our journey as followers of Jesus should look like. We we see enough to help us get moving down the road, but then as we're going down the road, living for him, slowly things clear, and more and more of our life is brought in underneath the authority of him and his kingdom as we follow him. We should all be more like Jesus today than we were the day we first believed. And so sometimes a great evaluation question for each of us is, am I more like Jesus today than I was when I first believed? If you've been following Jesus, if you've been driving down the road of God's kingdom and you still only have this much to see through, it should be a time when you have to reevaluate and say, God, I need more of you to help help me see more clearly. 
I need to be in your word. I need to be with your people. I need to be inviting someone to, to help disciple me and help me grow as a follower of Jesus. Or maybe we're not being intentional about clearing the window. Uh, I've shared this with you before. All of us are going to be discipled by something. If being discipled means being intentionally invested in so that we become like Jesus, some of us, instead of being discipled by Jesus, are being intentionally invested in by the culture around us. Uh, I, I want to read it how I worded it because I probably can't say it the same way twice. If we want to continue to indulge in the world like those who don't follow Jesus, if we want to continue to consume media with no filter, engage in behaviors that are harmful and disobedient without care, then we can't be surprised when we can't figure out what God wants or how to honor him with our lives. We're all going to be shaped by something. Are we allowing him to shape our view of the world? If we're going to leverage our lives for the mission of God, if we're going to move to a place where we say, God, all that I have, all that I am, it's all yours because of how incredible you are. It's gonna be because we say, listen, I'm not gonna conform to the ways of the world. Jesus, you're gonna transform me. Show me what you want. And that's gonna mean I have to immerse myself in spaces and places and in spiritual disciplines that help me see how he sees Paul ends this section of Romans 12 with these words. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, there's just one word in the Greek for test and approve. It carries with this picture of as you try something, as you experience something, uh, you're able to recognize its validity, like it's proven by your experience of it. And one of the best things that I can think of to illustrate this is um, the car sales process. A saleswoman or a salesman at an auto dealership knows that the most significant key to getting you to purchase a car or lease a vehicle is to get you to test drive it. If they can get you in the car and driving down the road, if you can smell its scent, if you can feel its steering wheel, if you can hear its power or its radio, whatever it is that matters to you, they know that they are much closer getting you to buy. They know the experience of the car is important. Well, when we actually trust God at his word and allow him to transform us by his word and we begin to look and say, God, this is what you say about how I should engage in sex. God, this is what you say about what to do with my money. God, this is what you say about how to use my mouth. God, this is what you say. And we actually test God in that. It proves that that's the most valid way of living. And it's almost like it begets more and, and hunger for more. The more I see God's ways work, the more I want to honor God with my life. And so when we choose not to conform to the pattern of this world, but instead we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, then we're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, you guys have probably heard this before. I think I've even shared it here four or five years ago. Um, they train people to recognize counterfeit money not by looking at counterfeit money. They train them by looking at the real thing. The more you see the real thing, the more you see life as God intends it the more you can recognize it in your daily life. So as you test and approve of God's will, it's like, oh, wait a second. 
This is what God wants me to do in this situation. And it just continues to open up more and more of how God wants you to live. And you experience this transformation. Your mind is renewed. And you find yourself leveraging your life. And God uses you and all your gifts and talents for far more than you ever could on your own. And he begins to accomplish his mission through you alongside a number of other believers uh, that he's doing the same thing through. My hope and my prayer is that we would be challenged, we'd be equipped, we'd be reminded that God wants us to leverage our lives. But it's gonna come as we're motivated by his mercy. We give him everything. We give him everything as we choose not to conform to our age, but instead let him transform us by the renewing of our minds to live life as Jesus would. And the whole world opens up to us of how to live in a way that honors him and his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. God, thank you. I thank you for Romans 12. And God, I pray that even in the blitz of a shortened uh, time together today that um, your word would take hold in our hearts. God, you have placed us in this world at this time and in this culture. And God, you know that it's possible to resist the perpetual and persistent lies of the enemy uh, to be our own authority. God, you know that it's possible to not succumb to the lies that tell us um, what matters most. God, you know that you can bring deliverance and renewal. And I pray, Father, that as we turn to you, as we confess those places where we haven't, as we repent, uh, that you would help us see how to honor you each day and that we would see as we honor you just how good that path is and we would just keep following that would perpetuate even more obedience. And that God, as we obey, that our lives would be firmly in your hands and you would transform the world through us. It's in your name we pray and trust. In the name of Jesus, amen.